Uh, friends, we have been blessed big time, right? We have such great creative people here at Hope, and, and it's so fun to watch some of the stuff that they come up with that, that just blows my mind. So I'm really grateful that I just get to be a part of this uh, church family and of the team that we have right here. Uh, it's a great team. I'm so, so grateful. And uh, none of you that know anybody on our team would be surprised. The folks are just coming up big time. These guys are, are stepping up and, and doing such an incredible job. Uh, no complaining, uh, putting in extra time and extra hours and, and making sure that we can continue to find ways to minister to and with the people of Hope Covenant. Well, we are uh, going to jump back into a series that started when this whole thing started, a series that I started calling Fear Not, Fear Not, and the subtitle is Finding Peace in an Anxious World. And we, we took a little break um, for the last three weeks. We had Palm Sunday, and then we had Easter Sunday, and then last week, um, Pastor Jim brought a message to us about making sure that we see those, that we can actually see people that we so easily overlook. Um, and today, and for the next few weeks at least, I want to get back into this series because I think we're all in desperate need of some perspective about what we're going through from the Bible. See, we get a lot of perspective, we get a lot of input, we get a lot of data, we get a lot of noise from the culture around us. And frankly, sometimes that just gets echoed back to us from the people around us. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's super normal. But I want to make sure that for the hours and hours and hours that many of us are spending listening to news uh, and trying to stay up to date and uh, with the latest on what's happening and then hearing that from each other or in many other ways, that, that, that we look to Scripture as the people of God. We know that the wisdom of the Bible informs what we're going through. And so today I want to talk about um, suffering, but I want to pair it with what seems a little odd, suffering and uh, joy. And to do that, we're going to look at uh, the first few verses at the start of the book of James in chapter 1. Now, I want you to remember before we look at this, that these New Testament books of the Bible, they were originally written as letters to actual people, actual churches, as Christianity was just getting started. So keep that in mind. This is an actual church Probably a group of people, um, well, depending on the church in Jerusalem, because it had grown substantially, but a group of people probably not that much bigger than the group that we belong to here uh, as we gather as the Church of Hope. All right, so here we go. James chapter 1, verse 1. It starts the, it starts the whole book by saying this. James, this is who it's from. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings, right? Now, quick background before we move to the next verse. James is essentially the pastor of this church in Jerusalem, and that church had now been scattered abroad because of severe persecution. Like, this was a traumatic crisis. They had to flee. They had to become refugees, leaving their homes, leaving their homeland. They were no longer even able to worship with other believers right where the church had gotten started in Jerusalem. It says here, scattered among the nations. Now, think about the crisis that we're going through as a nation and as a world right now. That's, that's, that's hard enough. Um, but can you imagine having to flee for your life because of persecution, just being scattered, as the word says here? And to them, people that are scattered abroad, who have had to flee, who have lost everything, listen to how... It, 
honestly, I would expect him to open the letter a little differently this. Listen to how James says what are familiar words to some of us, but now that we have the context, verse 2, here it comes. He says this to all you refugees, right? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I mean, just look at these words right here, right now, in the situation that we're in. And to me, again, it just seems a little odd because we're in a trial of our own. But I think he would write the same thing to us. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds, not just one kind, many kinds. And then he says, you know, and I'm like, I do, I do know this, really, I do. You know that testing develops perseverance. And again, we're going to spend some time on this passage, but but I just want to react to that idea right there, because trials, you know, testing, okay, great, I know about that. I've had plenty of that, and the last decade of my life has been full of many kinds of trials and testing, um, and even the life of the people at Hope here. Over the last four or five years, there's been many trials. There's been a lot of tests, um, and we started to finally have this team that's been built and a staff leading us and God's moving us forward together, and then wham, we have a pandemic hit right? Um, So we understand trials, right? We understand that. And um, in our own personal lives as well, we've got stuff going on. You've got stuff going on. So pain, we could probably most of us say, okay, yep, I understand the whole pain bit, right? Uh, In one way or another, we all kind of get this piece, Um, especially maybe because hope, this community is made up of not uh, perfect people, right? We are ragamuffins, we are prodigals, we are people who are especially aware of our need for amazing grace, and we are a people who are aware that we are not perfect, that we have brokenness, we don't hide that, that that we oftentimes find the dysfunction in our life. And by the way, I think this is a good thing because when we are able to see those things and recognize and acknowledge the brokenness instead of hiding it or pretending, we are actually farther along the path, farther along the journey than everybody who is supposedly, you know, messed up um, because we know, right, that we're not perfect and we're not bluffing about it. And I love that the people of hope are real about their stuff. And again, I think it gives us a head start on some of this stuff in the process of growth and and maturity and how to deal with trials. So um, let me just say it this way. For the most part, I'd say we we all, probably to some degree, we get the whole pain, trials, and tests gig, right? Honestly, though, when I read these verses, my gut-level response is that I don't necessarily, I'm going to be honest here, I don't always get this, you know, consider it pure joy deal, right? Like, it almost sounds like a smiley TV preacher, doesn't it? And it could even sound a little crazy, like, hey, here's some crazy stuff that the Bible says. When you're in the midst of facing your pain, there can be joy. Um, So I would be tempted to dismiss this as namby-pamby, pie in the sky, except for one big thing. This is the Apostle James, Uh, He's writing to a group of people whose lives have been turned upside down because of some pretty severe stuff. There's no TV preacher veneer here, not at all. See, James actually means what he says here. This is not a cheap mantra. He knows something, and apparently so do they, 
And what they know about the presence of joy in suffering is something that I wish I knew better. See, I don't like it when people just kind of spout Bible verses like cheap cliches, because that'd be the easy thing to do. I just read the Bible verse at you and we just move on. Um, So I've been trying to get my arms around this joy thing that the Bible talks about. And not just as a theological concept, but I want the reality of it to come to life in me. See, I want to experience joy in the middle of pain, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of trials, still have a sense of joy. Because, friends, God knows this, and so do you. I don't always get this. Actually, when through most of my life, when pain comes to me, I don't do joy. Like, I have to confess to you that if I look back at my story for most of my life, uh, when pain comes at me, I run, I hide, I cover up, I self-protect. When pain and I collide, I often find myself getting... Cold, shut down, bitter, uh, sarcastic, uh, hurtful, petty, insecure, fearful, angry, and small. And that's just the short list. And sadly, I've had some good days and bad days. Even this past week, um, I've had some not-so-good days. So please, by the way, send sympathy cards to Heidi and my son Noah for putting up with me right now, okay? Uh, they, They deserve some sympathy cards for sure. Because pain is not easy, and what it does is it reveals some things, and um, we respond in different ways when pain or trials come, and and some of it, most of it, is just a way to avoid it. I was talking with my friend um, uh, who had once been in prison for a while, and we talked about what pain does, and one of the things that he pointed out to me was that, that pain and trials, we respond to that by becoming defensive. And I went, are you talking to me? Like, Oh, wait, yeah, no, that's me for sure. Like, I, I do that sometimes. Uh, other times when pain comes, we will do this. We'll start blaming ourselves for the situation. Like, we'll blame ourselves right now because things are so stressful at home because of the pandemic, and we start blaming ourselves like, well, if I was just a better parent, if I was a better husband, if I was a better friend, if I was a better pastor, we find ways to blame ourselves rather than being in the pain or wondering what it's there for. We can blame ourselves Um, Here's another one, and this is probably just me, so indulge my confessional here. Uh, In my pain, oftentimes when I go through a trial, I am really good at becoming smug. Like I can judge other people and their response and how they're dealing with stuff. And when I do that, I fail to see myself as someone who is deeply in need of God's mercy and grace. See, I can kind of shake my head at their shallowness, and I can condescendingly imagine that somehow I see the whole picture. But that's probably just me, right? Right? Okay. Um, Here's another one that I see, and this one makes me nervous because I see varying levels of this next one all over our culture right now, including in me sometimes. Uh, In this crisis, uh, our response is often that we partner with a spirit of fear. And in fear, we do all kinds of stuff. Like we give ourselves permission to withdraw, to judge, to isolate. When fear is dominating the scene, when fear dominates, it's very hard for peace or love or hope or joy to be experienced because the spirit of fear is ruling the roost. So there you go. That's the short list. My reaction to pain and trials 
far too often it's ugly, it's embarrassing, and it's certainly not joy, or at least rarely, and maybe you can relate to this. See, I'm coming to realize that my inability and maybe our inability to experience joy during suffering has maybe something to do with, at least in part, it has something to do with my flawed view of what to do with pain in the first place. There's a book from uh, years back. The title of this book, I read it when I was in my 20s, so this is a long time ago. Uh, but the book is Why Bad, here's the title, it's Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And again, I read that a long time ago. And kind of the basic assumption of the book is that it revealed that most people believe that when bad things happen, it's punishment. Right? Like things go wrong, life gets hard. We pretty quickly assume that we screwed up, that we're being punished, and so we don't know what to do with our pain. And we look at this passage in James chapter 1, and you know what? James doesn't answer our pain questions. He just says, it is, right? He rolls right past all the good, obvious questions. He just lays it out there, right? Hey, here's the facts. Life is hard. Trials are inevitable. And honestly, it's very frustrating, but I think he's right. Like, that's the reality. I think James here changes the question we might all ask about, like, well, where does this pain come from? Or, or why is there so much pain? And he just kind of assumes, hey, yeah, pain is reality. And so since we're going to have it, what are we going to do with it? And that's the question. What are we going to do with it? Listen to how these verses read in the message translation. Um, same passage from James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. He continues, So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And I just look back at that verse, that phrase right there. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. Don't try to get out of it, right? Don't try to run away from it. And yeah, honestly, I'm going to be honest again here. Like, I really hate this part. See, because when I'm in pain, the point for me is what? It's to get out of the pain, right? <laughs> so I will oftentimes do whatever it takes to escape the pain, to relieve the pain. As human beings, we blame others. We want to medicate our pain. We want to, you know, even like just pray it away. Um, we might harden our hearts to keep us from feeling the pain, or sometimes we just hope for some magic formula we think that'll just remove all the pain. But James right here has the audacity to say to a people who are in pain, don't try to get out of it prematurely. Let it do its work in you. In you. Like, don't try to get out of it. Don't run from it. He's saying, allow it. And in fact, the Greek word there for allow is actually in the passive tense, so it means let it happen. Just let, go along with it. Go along with it. And I think that embracing that might help me with the go along with it deal on the process. See, because we don't have to be theologians or psychologists to see that not everybody who goes through a trial comes out of the 
uh, trial on the other end with more character, with more perseverance. They, they just don't, do they? And I think that one of the many reasons is this, um, because we have grown quite skillful at avoiding the heat. We've gotten really good as a people and a culture at not feeling it, at denying it, medicating it, escaping the heat in a variety of ways. Please just move on. Let's talk about something different. But the problem is, and the result is, and you know people like this, and maybe it's yourself at time. You know people who've gone through a trial or a painful season or, or a betrayal, and they go through that fire. They go through that trial, but they end up just as bitter and angry and blaming and shallow as they were before the trial. In fact, it can be worse because when the pain comes, we can get stuck on, well, this isn't fair. This isn't fair, right? And friends, listen, there's no shame here. Uh, many of us start there. Understandably, we start with, well, this isn't fair. I'm ticked off. Listen, go ahead. Do that. Start there. The problem is, though, when I, is, it's when I stay there. The problem is if I don't get beyond that, like if I never look at my own stuff and I just blame everybody else, um, what I end up doing and what we end up doing is we cling, we cling to cynicism like it's our friend, but it's not, which is precisely why James says what James says here, let it do its work. This means allowing ourselves to feel this thing, allowing myself not to medicate it or avoid it or thwart it or to self-protect by becoming bitter and cynical. Uh, and don't fake it either. Like, don't slap a bunch of Bible verses on it and pretend it's fine. Allow myself, I want to allow myself to press through this thing, to go through this thing, to maybe learn from this thing. Because apparently, according to the passage here, going through pain can shape something in me that will be formed in no other way. And I want to emphasize the idea here of going through it, <laughs> not over it, not under it, not around it. We go through it. See, so often we look for this escape hatch so we can get out of the trial or uncomfortable situation. But as my friend and mentor Dave Johnson says all the time, the way out, the way out is through Richard Rohr, in his book, Adam's Return, says this, all great spirituality is about what we do with our pain. He says, we must teach not to run from our pain or to get rid of the pain too quickly until we have learned what it has to teach us. <laughs> until we have learned what it has to teach us. And we may go at that idea a little bit more uh, next week. But I think that brings us back to James, looking back at verse 3, where it says, The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what he's saying here, James is saying that the testing of your faith produces something. And maybe that would bring us a little bit of hope. Like if something good is going to come in the end or something good's going to come out of this, maybe it might help me as I go through it, as I go through it. Um, maybe it's similar to pregnancy, right? Pregnancy <laughs> is hard. I'm a dude and I can't even imagine. Um, labor is ridiculously painful and difficult, but I've been told by mothers that remembering that this pain, this labor produces something, like a baby is coming, gives some hope. 
So maybe it would give us hope to remember that what we're going through produces something in us. And then also, notice verse 4, the end result is that you may be mature and complete, meaning this, you will grow up through this. You can, not automatically, but you can if you enter into it, you can actually be formed in this. Because apparently going through pain shapes something in me that can be formed in no other way. No other way. In verse 3, again here, I look at the word testing. Now in the passage here, the word testing doesn't mean like a test in school that's, you know, pass or fail based on what you know. You know, get the answers right, get the answers wrong, and then you get graded on it. I mean, that's how we normally think of a test. Um, But... um, it means something a little different. Like the whole test idea in the way that we traditionally think of it is, is you know, like I, Jim and I are in seminary and a couple weeks ago, um, we had a final exam. Uh, by the way, right after Easter, like hello. But um, yeah, we had a final exam and it's been a while since I've taken a final exam. And so I literally had test anxiety. Like I was, I was feeling anxious. I was actually feeling a little, you know, sweating. Uh, even though I was going to be taking this thing online, I just was very kind of keyed up. It's been a long time since I've taken a test like that. Uh, I started actually feeling a little sick. And I wondered in the back of my mind, you know, could I get a note from my mom and just take the test next week? I, I didn't try that. I thought about it. I didn't try that. I don't think that would have flown. Um, so here's the deal. I don't love taking tests. Um, but the test that the text here is talking about, it's not that kind of test. Um, the Greek word uh, used here for test in this passage is this. It means purity, to purify. The Greek word test means to purify right here. And this is the word that's used when, when referring to the process of purifying metal. Purifying it by the way, by using intense heat to make it stronger, to give it endurance. And I think about that, and I think it's a wonderful analogy. I mean, you just picture this. The process of using intense heat actually melts the metal to purify it. Now, if I'm somebody that was watching the metal be melted, and I didn't get what was going on, I might look at the person who has applied the heat to the metal as the metal's being melted down and be like, hey, 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 that can't be good. Like, wait, wait, dude, you're ruining the metal. Hey, hey, it's melting. You're wrecking it. Stop right there. Like, you know, like, think about it this. When a person goes through a meltdown, it's like, oh, that's the worst thing that could ever happen. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Because in this purifying process of melting, impurities in the metal are revealed. What they do is rise to the top, they become visible. And you've probably experienced this in your life when intense heat comes to us and we have kind of what we would call a meltdown. You know, we're like, oh, it's the worst day of my life. Like, God, there can't be anything good about this. And for me, when that stuff happens, so often I humiliate myself because impurities come to the top and I start behaving in ways that embarrass even me. That's where that control or blame or anger, stuff that has been revealed in me in the heat of this season, when the heat has risen, sometimes the stuff that floats to the top, I'm like, oh, right? Because impurities come to the surface when the heat is on, when the test is fired up. But friends, listen, the purpose of this testing, of the heat being turned up, 
It's not to embarrass you. The purpose is not to humiliate you. The purpose is to reveal some things that need to be skimmed off the top. See, that's what's happening in this heating of the metal. When the impurities rise to the top, they get, the impurities then get skimmed off, and then the heat gets reduced. And after the heat is reduced and that process is complete, or you know, at least one cycle of the process is complete, because this happens again and again and again in life. But when that happens, then the metal is stronger and now has the capacity to endure, to carry weight that it couldn't have before. It now has endurance. It now has, that word we've been looking at, perseverance. I mean, we could look all through history here at people who have become stronger and developed endurance after going through what they've gone through. I think of Julian of Norwich, a woman way back in the 12-1300s who lost her family and eventually turned her life uh, toward doing ministry in the church, even as a woman where it was difficult to do that. She almost died, and in her pain um, and unexpected recovery, she developed a life where she served and loved and helped others, and she uh, is someone who is revered to this day. That happened because of the Black Death, the Black Plague that went and swept through her nation and, and killed so many people, yet she came out of it, she survived, and instead of living in that pain, she then made a difference to others. You think of, of people, uh, even through our own country, people like Abraham Lincoln and what he went through to bring something stronger into our nation, into our country. You think of, uh, of a woman like Mother Teresa and the suffering that she embraced. She knew something about suffering that is foreign to me. You think about people in our own church who have gone through pain and suffering and instead of becoming bitter, have become stronger, have actually helped others. You think of Yvonne Devon. And if you don't know Yvonne's story, look back at our, at our podcasts and listen to some of her story. She went through horrific abuse, and rather than becoming bitter and angry and shutting down, she turned that into a way to help others who've been abused. You think of Mark and Tracy Sullivan, if you heard them tell part of their story not long ago from the platform right here at Hope, you know that they've gone through so many trials, so many tests, so much addiction, so much abuse, so much brokenness but it purified them. They have come out the other side and continue through every trial to become stronger and stronger and lean into Jesus and point people to Jesus. And friends, this is simply transformation. That is what transformation looks like. I mean, here's where this lands on me, thinking about that, that purifying the metal process. In that hunk of metal, in that hunk of human life, in you and in me, there's some really good stuff. There, there's Christ in you, Christ in me. That's the deepest truth of what God has planted. Like you've already been given the DNA of a new identity in Christ. You've been given, as a follower of Jesus, you've been given a new heart, a good heart. And so in that hunk of metal, there's some really good metal. There is pure metal. There is solid gold. But in that metal, and in you and in me, there's some other stuff as well. Mixed right into the metal, right into the pot. There's this other stuff, this other junk, leftover pieces that have not yet been formed or healed. Stuff that we call the flesh in scripture. It's our junk. It's the sin. It's the brokenness. 
And when it's allowed to just remain, you know what it does? It's making me weak. Honestly, those things are making me incapable of bearing much weight at all. And usually, and I hate this part, but usually the most effective tool in revealing where weaknesses are that need to be revealed so they can be skimmed off, the most effective tool is intense heat. The kind of heat that's provided, not by God who's like going after you or picking on you. It's not that. It's just the kind of heat that's produced by what? Life. Life. Where we face trials, adversity, testing. It's, it's a part of life. And it's a part of the spiritual transformation process. Friends, I wish it wasn't that way. I do. I wish it was not that way. But my wishing isn't going to change reality. I mean, I wish for a lot of things. And Dave Johnson, who inspired this talk uh, long ago, and I remembered this quote, talked to him about this quote yesterday. I wish a lot of things, and Dave says this about that. He says, I wish I could be knowledgeable without study. <laughs> I wish I could be wise without experience. I wish I could be seasoned without winter. I wish I could rise to the top without having to pay my dues. I wish I could experience intimacy without being vulnerable. I wish I could experience holiness without repentance. I wish I could experience fullness of life without dying first. But it doesn't work that way. Life in the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. going to wrap up here. Remember, we started this with joy. <laughs> By the way, did you notice we never got back around to the joy bit, right? The joy and suffering. So we have more work to do around that. So tune in next week for part two, where we're going to go deeper into what this passage in James is pointing us to, a reality of life where even in the middle of trials, we can experience joy. And friends, I'm going to be honest again, like that's the only thing we can do here. We're very honest and real. Because I'm on the journey to finding out what this scripture means when it talks about joy in the middle of difficult trials. And I admit I don't have all the answers. But friends, what do you say? People of hope, what do you say? We press in and together we see what God teaches us in this next season while we're in the middle of a trial. <laughs> all of us together, Hope family, asking God for that. For joy, even in the middle of pain, of suffering, of trials that God would teach us that, that, that maybe we'd even start to experience that, to, to maybe you and I become the kind of people who live that out and offer joy and hope and the love of Jesus to our world. Before we sing this uh, closing song, I just know that some of us are in the middle of intense heat. Uh, even more than the stress we are all under with this pandemic, uh, and, and this process, this test is very painful. Uh, and you might really need somebody to be with you and pray and to pray for you. And if we were here, I'd invite you to, you know, pray with the prayer team. But since we're not, we want to get creative with that. And so 
um, if you would love to have one of us pray with you, we would love to do it. So you could email me. These are all at hopecov.com, right? So Doug at hopecov.com, Jim at hopecov.com, Heidi at hopecov.com. I didn't warn anybody else, so we'll just give you those to start with. There's people on our prayer team that would love to set up an appointment. We could get on the phone or get on a video call and just pray. But right now, to close us, the only thing I know how to do as a person, as a pastor, is to pray like right here, right now. Just Holy Spirit, come. And so I want to pray over you right where you are. And maybe this is a message that's directly for you. Or maybe you're like, oh no, I know somebody though who's going through a fire. And when you're going through the fire, sometimes you just can't see. And so if that's you, we're going to pray for you directly. If that's somebody you know, we're going to use this for you to pray for them. But some of you, I know, you're in it right now. And I just want to pray for you. One of the simple things that we do around here sometimes, just like a child, and I want you to do this at home. We just put our hands out like this. Like, like, we, like we're going to receive a gift that only God could give, but we're going to receive a gift from him. So I just want you to put your hands right out in front of you right now as I pray for us. Just put your hands in front to receive this. Holy Spirit, come right here, right now right in whatever place each of my brothers and sisters is in this moment. I ask that you would help us to see what we can't see unless you help us to see it. Give us eyes to see. And we want to lift to you the people we know and love who are in the middle of something really hot. Maybe they've lost their ability to see. And maybe that's some of us. We've lost our ability to see. And all these pep talks in the world to look up and see more, it's just, it just doesn't work. These are people that love you, that belong to you, but right now feel like we can't see you. So Holy Spirit, come. Help us see that trial, this fire, this affliction, as awful as it is. We don't want to minimize it one bit, but help us fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because the stuff we see is painful and t- We also know, though, that it's temporary. And what is unseen is eternal. So Holy Spirit, come. Help us to see what we can't see unless you help us to see. Give us what we need, even as we go through this fire. Give us what we need. Let it refine us and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name. You guys uh, sing with us this song of faith and hope. that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard through it all through it all my eyes are on you through it all through it all it is well through it all through it all my eyes are on it is well with me.
through it all, through it all, my eyes are over you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are over you. It is well with me. What a beautiful song, what a beautiful proclamation that even in the midst of trials, even in the middle of suffering, dare we look with hope and believe that there might be joy, not in some kind of denial way, but in a way that really trusts that Jesus knows what he's talking about when he offers us joy, even in the suffering. And part of it, I believe, is because we know that he is with us in the suffering. He never leaves us alone. He has not forsaken us. God is not punishing us. He has, though, promised to be with us in the middle of all the stuff of life. So as the, the heat is on, as the trial is here, as things feel like maybe they're even melting down in your life and in your world, can we lean in and partner with the process and allow and just wonder, God, what are you up to in me? What is it that you would like to refine, to skim off the top? And can we trust that he will in that refining formation process, that transformation process, cause us to be a little stronger, able to bear more weight, to be with people in life. We bless you as we dismiss you and, and uh, have you go into your day and into children's stuff and into youth group stuff and Bible study as well. But before we move into that, let me just bless us as, as we go. People of hope that you would trust and know that you are so deeply loved by this God that you are never alone, that in despair or even depression and in confusion, he is with you. And in the fiery trial that you are going through, there is an end in sight. And waiting for you there while simultaneously with you here is this presence of Jesus and this reward because he loves you and he is growing and maturing and developing each and every one of us. May you and I this week lean into the trials in front of us, not run from them, but bring them to Jesus and trust him to walk with us in it and through it. I bless you now with his strength and grace in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We love you guys. Hope to see you soon.